May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hey everyone, I'm Joe Grapes. I'm one of the pastors here at Central City Church and I'm excited to have you join us for our daily readings. It's Tuesday, April 7th, and our daily reading is Mark 11, 15 to 19. And that's going to come to you through uh, uh, by Jeremy God. He's going to share that with us today. He did a podcast last week, and he's doing it again today, and we're excited to have him on. Before we get to him, I want to remind you, Easter's coming up this week. encourage you to, to check in to us, uh, check in online, and invite someone to church. Uh, you can invite anyone. They can live on the other side of the country, friends. So this is uh, super fun. And two... Um, we're asking you to share in a video what Jesus means to you. Think of it this way. If you were, if someone, a friend of yours who, who isn't a Christian would say, like, what's the big deal? What would you say? Really, honestly, this is a good thing regardless of whether you do the video or not, but this is a good thing to think about, like, what difference has Jesus made in your life? Is it, is it because he's, he's helped you in some way, taught you something? Uh, is it specifically the forgiveness of your sins? Like, what's the what's the big life-changing? How would you describe that? Well, how would you summarize that into a particular role, into a particular word? We'd love to hear it. It's good to reflect on either way. It's even better if you're willing to share it. And if you're willing to share it, shoot a 30-second video. Send it to me, joe at centralcity.co. And with that, here is our daily reading. This is Mark 11, verses 15 through 19. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. One of my biggest pet peeves is when we go to a concert to hear a band that we really like, And the people behind us decide that somehow it's an acceptable option for them to talk incessantly throughout the whole show. Heather and I have actually had horrible luck with this. We can almost count on it that there will be somebody talking loudly about the vacuous details of their Twitter feed or how their ex-boyfriend is a jerk, all in all making it really difficult to enjoy the concert. I've actually come really close a couple of times to suggesting a nice microbrewery down the street where they can talk to their heart's content pay half as much for their beer, since clearly they have no interest in actually listening to the band. Okay, imagine if you will the following scenario. Your favorite band is making only one stop in the U.S. on their worldwide tour, and it is at a venue several states away. You order your tickets online. You can only get standing room only tickets at the very back, since you're not a resident of the city where the concert is. But that's okay, you knew that would be the case. So you hop in your car and drive the eight-plus hours over many a weary mile until finally you arrive. You have to pay an exorbitant price for parking because, well, that's capitalism, and they can get it. 
But again, you pretty much knew that was part of the deal going in. Finally, you arrive at the venue and wait in line for three and a half hours as you watch all of the, all, all of the venue's city residents going in ahead of you to take their closer-in seats. Finally, you make it in. As you enter the front lobby, your stomach starts growling because that Hot Pocket from the Turnpike convenience store just didn't last, and you start looking for food options. Of course, you can't bring your own food in, so the only options are the concession stands charging five times the normal prices of food vendors. Because once again, they can. And so you purchase your $25 hamburger and fries and tamp down your hunger a bit. It's getting closer to the time for the concert to start, so you start heading to the standing room only section. Sure, it's been a long journey, and you had to wait forever to get in, and you had to shell out almost all of your cash because of the monopoly prices that you're charged for everything. But it will all be worth it, because you get to see your favorite band. You get to hear the music and lyrics that are a part of the very fabric of your soul, live and in person. This is fantastic. As you round the bend in a dark hallway, along with the throngs of other non-residents heading to the standing room only area, the way opens into a large space, already full of concert goers jostling against one another and filling up even more every minute as the crowds throng in. Somehow you find a spot to stand, and only then do you notice how very far away from the stage you really are. You squint and can barely see the more than 100 yards distant, the tiny figures of the crew doing final setups. Finally, the lights go down, and the band takes the stage to wild applause from all quarters. You can barely see them and can only hear them very faintly. It's a good thing you know their songs so well. You're just getting into the first song when someone starts shouting, Popcorn! Popcorn here! Get your popcorn and peanuts! Only $20 for some hot popcorn! And then you realize that the standing room only area is situated in the midst of all of the concession stands and merchandise tables. You try to hear the concert, but there's a constant cacophony of noise. That will be fifty-seven fifty, sir. Cash or credit? Ooh, look at the new t-shirts. Popcorn, ice cold Coke here. You can't hear a thing. And just when you're somehow able to start concentrating through the hubbub, you realize that not only is the standing room only area in the midst of the vendor stands, but it is also the designated path for the equipment movers to lug their excess gear through. Heads up, move aside there. Squeak, 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 rumble, rumble, rumble. Popcorn, hot dogs, only $30. You try your hardest to concentrate on the music so far away, but throughout the whole of the concert, the most you're able to hear is a few random lines from a couple of the songs. And then the concert's over. The encore has been done, the last song sung, which unsurprisingly, you heard almost none of. You make your way out with the throngs of others, tired and disappointed. You'd traveled so many miles, you'd given up so much. And in the end, there was only the faintest of connections to the music that you'd come to hear. This is effectively the scenario that Jesus walked into in Mark 11. He comes with his disciples to Jerusalem, into the great temple there, along with so many others, some of whom had traveled many days in hard conditions to get there, to worship and pray and celebrate the goodness of God. And what he finds there rankles him. It lights a fire in him that stirs up his inner Old Testament prophet. Historians tell us that the area of the temple that this takes place in is most likely the area known as the Court of the Gentiles. It's basically the designated area for everyone who is not of Jewish birth, not one of God's chosen people, quote-unquote. 
Essentially, foreigners, outsiders, those who were seen as less than. But even they were supposed to have a place where they could come and worship the one true God, creator of all. Maybe they couldn't go into the closer-in areas of the, of the temple where only the Jewish-born could go. But at least they had this place where they could pray and celebrate and worship. Only they didn't. As it turns out, the court of the Gentiles had been taken over by the merchants, buying and selling the goods that the people would need or want when they came to the temple to worship. And it had become a shortcut thoroughfare for vendors arriving from outside the city who were bringing their goods to market. It was loud and crowded with a pervading atmosphere of commerce, not worship. Jesus walks into the scene and says, Oh, no, 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 no. You guys who are high up in the elite structure of the temple, and you who are lining your pockets gouging those who come here, you may think that this temple is yours, but it's not. This is my father's house, and he is not cool with what you've turned it into. So he starts knocking over the tables of the money changers, and those who sold some of the animals for sacrifice, and who charged exorbitant prices to do so. And it's wise to pay attention in the Gospel of Mark, with its normally spare language, when a specific detail is mentioned. In this case, the Gospel writer specifically shines the light on the money changers and those who sold doves. Why? Well, the money changers exchanged foreign currency into the acceptable coin of the temple that worshippers could use. Much of their business would have been based on taking advantage of foreigners and gouging them on exchange rates, since theirs was the only shop in town. The mention of doves is also telling. There were many different sacrifices that could be made at the temple, and in fact some of the other gospel accounts of this incident make mention of them. Sheep, lambs, and so forth. But why doves? Well, when the sacrificial st statutes were laid out in the Old Testament, they typically called for a sheep. But, as a merciful allowance, if someone could not afford a sheep, they could substitute with a dove a far less expensive sacrifice for those who could afford far less. In fact, when Jesus' parents took him to the temple to dedicate him as a baby, this is the exact sacrifice that they brought. So, the mention of doves here highlights that the merchants were taking advantage of the poor. In their extreme markup of what was supposed to be a mercifully inexpensive sacrificial option, the mention of money changers and dove sellers clues us in that not only was the worship area for the Gentiles being turned into a raucous commercial hubbub, but also that the merchants there were taking advantage of those who could least afford it, namely the foreigners, the outsiders, and the poor. And so Jesus shows them where to get off. And then Jesus starts to teach, the crowd certainly, but presumably also the temple officials. And he breaks out a couple of lines from the Old Testament prophets, one from Isaiah and one from Jeremiah. In doing so, he echoes the prophetic themes from of old. First of, first, of God's heart and vision of a bright future. Is it not written, he says, rhetorical question, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, from Isaiah chapter 56. And second, calling out his people when they are not living as they ought. But you have made it a robber's den, from Jeremiah chapter 7. And understand, too, that when Jesus quotes a verse, he is not referencing just that verse. It's like quoting a tagline, or the first line of a well-known song. It's just a few words, but it brings to mind so much more. An example might be if I said the line, I pledge allegiance. When you hear that, you're not just thinking of those three words, but you're thinking of the rest of the lines of the pledge, and the flag, 
and America, and patriotism, and maybe the memory of saying the pledge in the morning with your third grade classmates in the classroom that smelled of wood polish. You get the picture. There's a lot more to it. And when Jesus said those lines, it would have evoked much more in the minds of his hearers. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That would, evoked, that would have evoked whole chapters worth of connected thoughts in the minds of those listening. The chapters of Isaiah leading up to that verse are hopeful and celebratory of a time when the Messiah will come and save Israel from all her troubles. And in that chapter, it specifically speaks to the foreigner, the outsider, the one who might easily be considered less than. Essentially, it's a keep-your-chin-up message to the outsider. It says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. No, God says, I want you who love me to be a part of my family, just like the Jewish people that I've walked with. Even those, even the outsiders, God says, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers the, the, the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. You see, it was never just about the people of Israel. God's heart from of old was to expand beyond the chosen people of Israel and to welcome those who love him from amongst all peoples. The foreigner, the outsider, is welcomed. Come and know me. Come and worship and celebrate and pray. In that one line, Jesus paints the vision of God's heart. And it is in such stark contrast to the reality that they're in the midst of that there's almost no need to comment on it. Clearly, the temple in that moment was the exact opposite of a joyful house of prayer for all people. Instead of welcoming the foreigner, they were taken advantage of and treated with little or no regard. It was so bad that their only possible area of worship had been co-opted into something that made it virtually impossible for them to meet with God, to celebrate, to pray. And then Jesus follows it up with a direct strike at the temple officials and the merchants lining their pockets at the expense of the most vulnerable. But you have made it a robber's den, from Jeremiah 7. This quick burst line, as well, would evoke much more in the mind's eyes of his hearers. In Jeremiah 7, the prophet is standing at the gates of the temple, much like Jesus is here, and is calling God's people to, re to repent. Thus says the Lord, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. And how is it particularly that the people needed to mend their ways? By practicing justice between a man and his neighbor, by not oppressing the alien, the, the orphan, or the widow, and so forth. The people in Jeremiah's day had a baseless confidence that since they were God's people, and had the temple where they could come and worship him, that they could behave in any way they desired. They could take advantage of the most vulnerable, without penalty, maybe without it even being really considered a wrong. They were God's people, after all, and, like spoiled, entitled rich kids, they thought they could do no wrong, and looked down on anyone not of their set. But God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, didn't pull any punches. He calls their acts what they are, abominations. Stinking, gross, evil things that you can hardly, hardly stand to look at. He says, has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? In other words, I see exactly what's going on here. Not only are you mistreating the poor, the outsider, the most vulnerable, but beyond that you are piling onto the stinking heap of your abominations by doing so from a place of self-entitlement, 
that you are pulling from your status as my chosen people and the possession of the place of worship. Instead of using your privilege to bless those who have less, you take advantage of them and feel that you have done no wrong. You're, you're no better than a group of common highwaymen holding at poor passers-by to rob them at night point. And you've made my temple a sanctuary of self-justification, where you can gather with your cronies amidst all your ill-gotten gain and be, be assured that you've done no wrong. But in Jeremiah, the prophet goes on and clearly calls out that they will be called to account and that there will be dire consequences for their actions. And clearly, Jesus' Jesus's quick staccato mention of this single verse from Jeremiah carried the same implications to the hearers of his day, as we see in the following verse in Mark, that the chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. Even though all Jesus said was, you have made it a robber's den, they got the clear, full implications of his words. So Jesus, in his actions, and in his quick-hit Old Testament verse quotes, hits on two major themes of the prophets of old. First, he outlines God's heart, his vision of a bright time where not just Israel's descendants, but all people who love him could come and pray and celebrate and worship with joy. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Second, he calls his people to account, those who should have known better. He calls their actions as he sees them, as despicable, stinking abominations and warns them that if they don't turn from their ways of ill-treatment of the most vulnerable and of baseless self-justification, that there would be dire consequences. But you have made it a robber's den. Let's go back to the concert scenario for a moment. Imagine once again that you are crowded together in the standing room only section, with the shouting popcorn vendors and price haggling and equipment lugging going on all around you. You try so hard to hear the music through the hubbub, but at best you can make out faint line here or there. And then a guy comes into the area where you're standing and topples a popcorn machine with fake butter kernels flying everywhere. He knocks over the merchandise table with its t-shirts and posters and logoed laptop stickers. He grabs a rolling cart of equipment that's being pushed through the area and with a mighty shove sends it back toward the doors where it entered from. People stop talking. The vendors stop their shouting. Everyone is momentarily in shock at the abrupt disruption and waits to see what will happen next. And the guy shouts out so as to be heard in the big area, You vendors need to get out of here. Head out to the outer lobby and set up shop, set, set up shop there if you want, but you can't be here. And you people lugging equipment through here, you're going to have to find a new route. These people have paid good money for their tickets to hear the concert, and with all the crap that's going on around here, you've made it impossible for them to do so. They are here to listen to the music, perhaps even have it touch their very souls, and they will be permitted to do so. Now leave, all of you. For a few stunned moments, no one moved. And then, one by one, the vendors begin packing up their wares and heading for the outer lobby. The equipment transporters head out the way they came. In less than ten minutes, the area is left with only the concert goers. As the last of the vendors totes his t-shirts to the exit and the concert resumes, you look around to see what happened to the guy who was the shocking impetus for this turn of events, but he's nowhere to be seen. But the difference is palpable. You can hear the music, the words, the lyrics, and tunes that stir your heart, the very reason that you came all that way. And as the evening moves on and your fellow concertgoers are transported to heights and depths as the music infuses your very souls, 
And after the final encore is done, you file out into the night with a heart full of joy, exclaiming with those around you about the goodness of that last song. A few days later, after you're back home, you see a news clip about the concert. And to your, amaz to your amazement, it turns out that the guy who interrupted the concert and sent the vendors packing was actually the lead singer in disguise. Whoa. Mind blown. And that's what Jesus did as he knocked over the money changers' tables and took up the mantle of the Old Testament prophet to share God's vision of welcome to all people who love him, insiders and outsiders alike, and to rebuke those who should have known better to mend their ways. And he did much more than that as well. Because you see, just like it wasn't just about the people of Israel, so too it wasn't just about the temple. That was the designated place where his people, all of them, could come and meet with him and worship and pray. And on that day, he was ensuring that the outsiders in the standing room only section could hear the concert, so to speak. In the following days, with his death and resurrection, he made sure that all of us who love him, the insiders and the outsiders alike, that we all have front row seats and can touch the hand of the lead singer. In Ephesians 2.18, we read, For through him, Jesus, we both, insiders and outsiders alike, have our access in one spirit to the Father. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, we can approach God as beloved children. Today, I'd encourage you to spend some time meditating on the goodness of God's heart, how he welcomes us all, even as, out, as outsiders, to come and talk with him, to pray, to celebrate, to worship with joy. What a great vision of the bright someday, when we all, those who are like us and those who are not, will experience not just in little pieces here and there, but in whole, the goodness and presence of our good creator. And a heart check for myself, and maybe for you too. Are there any points where I'm making church or home group or whatever more about me than about God and about those others that he loves alongside me? Usually I can tell this when my heart gets complainy. The song picks this week weren't my favorite, or the coffee was cold, or the sermon wasn't quite on. When in reality, the core truth is that I am blessed by having these things. And I'm blessed to be a blessing to others, especially those who may not have these good things. Lord, help us today. Help us when we get bigger than ourselves. Give us the gift of humility and the recognition that we ourselves, all of us, are outsiders. Outsiders who, have, who you have made a way for us not only to hear the music that infuses our very souls, but for us to touch the very hand of the lead singer. May we take joy in your presence and treat with kindness the other outsiders all around us whom you love so much. Friends, thanks for joining us for our daily reading. You can find the readings and more by going to centralcity.co slash readings. Now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.